evening, everybody. Welcome to church tonight. It's great to see you all here. It's a real commitment that you would be here tonight, freezing cold on a long weekend, but it, and it's great that you're here. So we just uh, are pleased to be together. Hope you can snuggle up next to someone uh, tonight. But it is good to be together, and it's good to be together before a God who's unchanging. Isn't it incredible to say, Yahweh, God unchanging, yesterday, today and forever, you're the same, you never change. It's incredible, isn't it? Because there's a real strength in the fact that we come here and we know a lot about God that doesn't change. And, uh, you know, whether your team's Carlton and, and going, you know, picking itself up from the bottom or whether it's <laughs> Hawthorne, who I back for, who uh, got absolutely slaughtered today, God's the same, and that's good to know. But it's good for other people too. This week we've had some real uh, things that have been really um, tragedies. Our, our uh, other Baptist church in Albury um, ha- had a real tragedy this week where Rodney Poole, um, just a, a, a 19-year-old guy, was killed in a car earlier on in the week um, just near the, a, a crossing in Thurguna. And uh, he was hit by a train in the car and died. And uh, his father and family, uh, the Poole family, who are at Albury Baptist. And so Kerry, who, uh, Kerry Schubert, who's come from here and is now the pastor of that church, you know, took her first funeral there. And the place was packed. And uh, this morning they just had a great turn up. And this is a church that had, uh, you know, just a few people not long ago. But it's just been so full today in the midst of this tragedy that's really pulling them together. So isn't it great to know Yahweh, God unchanging? You know, in the midst of tragedy, God is still who he said he was and he's faithful and he's someone we can turn through to through tough situations. So will you keep praying for Aubrey Baptist, for the Poole family, and, uh, and keep praying that God would, you know, use this terrible thing to, to really draw this community together and to start just continue to grow this church in a way that would really flourish. We want to also let you know that uh, Kathy and Aaron Kennedy, Kathy Kennedy had uh, major brain surgery last Thursday week, so Thursday week ago, and she was in church this morning, so that was really great, and we want to thank you for praying. And we did say that the tumour removed was benign, but they've actually just got tests on Friday that have said it was actually a grade 3 tumour, which means it's a a moderate tumour. And so what that means now is although they believe they got the whole tumour from her, uh, they still need to have radiotherapy and chemotherapy to actually attack if there's any other growth just left behind in, the, in her brain. So they're going to now still check out and see what the treatment will be um, in six weeks' time. So if you could just keep praying for Cathy. We had said the tumour was benign. It all came out and no further treatment, but there's definitely going to be more treatment. So we just value your prayers and continue to pray for Cathy and Aaron. Um, as they continue to look to God, you know, uh, it's interesting. Kathy, Kathy said, "Look, uh, you know, I, I'm not. I don't want to focus on healing as my prayer. I just want to focus on uh, going through this journey with God. Uh, God is mighty, and I just want to do whatever He wants through this. You know, and uh, it's the whole Yahweh God, unchanging. You know, He's He's here, and whatever He says, Kathy's saying, yes, I, I'll just take that. So." Keep praying for them that they would know God's strength. You know, we've got some great things coming up. Some of the great things for you. Our church is just passionate about the fact that uh, coming to know Jesus is absolutely wonderful. 
but it's just the start of your journey. He wants to make us uh, followers of him, disciples, people who continue to grow to become more and more like him in every way. And part of our way that we do that is just by offering you a whole lot of things that can help you grow and become more like Christ. Regular coming to church, Bible study, small groups, being in things that will help you grow. But one of the things is Life Force, and that's a, just a program of a whole lot of information, a whole lot of courses. Valiant Man, um, we've had a great... Uh, response to that, uh, man to man, woman to woman, search for life, how people grow. And there's other things like starting points, just a four-week course for parents of not to four-year-olds, kids with courage um, and marriage enrichment weekends. If you just want to know a little bit about that, now's the time to get the information and to join, sign up for one of those courses. Um, at the end of the service, the information desk, there are brochures that are available about that, so grab that. Did you know uh, this church, every week we come in and at night you get a bit of a used church, but in the morning it still smells beautifully clean and just great. And you know, it only takes an hour and a half every two months to be a church cleaner. And uh, there's just an incredible teams of people that come in. You get to meet other people. You give up just an hour and a half on Saturday morning. So if you ever wanted to be a church cleaner, there's a desperate need and the results are just phenomenal. I know it every Sunday morning, a great church that we can be proud of. So if that's something you feel you could do, just respond in terms of all that's written in the news sheet. Why don't we pray tonight and give thanks that God is uh, who he always has been and always will be and he wants to speak to us tonight. Let's pray. Oh God, our lives take so many ups and downs and twists and turns. So God, we thank you that you're the same. Your word can be trusted completely. What you've said you'll do, you will do. Who you've revealed yourself as, you are. So we say, God Almighty, you are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, and you are always present. And we just thank you that you're here tonight. Thank you that you're in this place, that you want to speak to us, that you want to change us with your unchanging love. God, we worship you. We open ourselves to you. And we say, have your way in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation where you know something big is going to happen and you're just waiting for the call to respond. You know, I think about uh, and people in the emergency services and they have to be on alert. You know, there's a fire perhaps and, and they're called out and they've just got to respond like that. They've got to be ready to go. Or people that are in... Um, say paramedics and you know you get that call and there's nothing else that you can do but just respond immediately and I was thinking about the message tonight and it reminds me very much in fact I've titled entitled it um, this will come up in a moment I think there we go I've entitled it 
Sorry, just there. Are you ready for the call? And it's from Acts 1, 12 to 26. And I can remember myself being in a situation where it was 12 years ago and I've, I've talked about this before but it left such an indelible imprint in my life. But 12 years ago my brother-in-law, uh, Michael, uh, was diagnosed uh, with a brain tumour uh, and unlike Kath, um, from the point of his diagnosis to his death it was nine months. But praise God, before he died, he, a few months before, he gave his heart to the Lord. And at the time, I was working in palliative care and I loved my job. My job was actually working with people who were dying, um, who had diagnoses similar to Mick. And so I'd gone from being a member of my family to, according to my family, someone with authority in this area, which I didn't feel I had. But... But I guess when they looked around, there was no one else, so it was me. And I can remember waiting at home that weekend with my family, waiting for the call from my sister Di to say that Mick was in a coma and you've got to come, you've got to come now. And so we just left everything and we all got in the car and we headed down that highway to Melbourne and we'd been down that highway so many times uh, to Melbourne and it was always for a celebration. Um, Warren's family live in Melbourne and I've still got half my family in Melbourne and most times we went down that highway it was because it was someone's birthday or it was someone getting married or shopping in Bridge Road or doing something that was great. But this time was different. We were actually driving down that highway and as we drove down, I was getting my head around the fact that I was actually driving to sit with my brother-in-law and watch him while he took his last breath, which is what we did. And I was privileged enough to be with my sister uh, while Mick was lying on the bed in a coma and there he was. He took his last breath and went to be with the Lord. And that, that was an incredible time for me. It changed. It was a defining moment for me. But I can remember very distinctly not wanting to go, but being on alert to go. And in the end, when the call came, we went. We went. There was nothing to stop us. And tonight's reading reminds me a lot about a man called Matthias who got the call of God on his life and without uh, waiting, in obedience, he responded to God's call and he went. But before we get to Matthias, the reading is a little bit like a play where in a play you have the context and the lead up to the, the event, the climax of the play. And the climax of the play is really where Matthias ends up saying yes to the call on his life. But before that happens, there's a whole lot of stuff that, that happens beforehand that goes into this play. And so we read from Acts 1, 12, and it says, The apostles were at the Mount of Olives when this happened, so they walked the half mile back to Jerusalem. 
Then they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And here is the list of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James. They all met together continually for prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of Jesus. And during this time, on the day when about 120 believers were present, Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. Wow. I just need to give you some context here. This was a time when 120 people were gathered in one room together. But before they were gathered there, there was a lot of stuff that had happened. These 120 people had actually been around when Jesus died on the cross. And they'd actually witnessed his resurrection three days after his death. They'd actually seen him come to life again, reappear, so to speak. And there was a time between Jesus' resurrection and what we call his ascension, the time when these same 120 saw Jesus go up into the clouds. And this time between his resurrection and ascension was 40 days. And during those 40 days, Jesus appeared to this group on and off quite numerously. He would appear on the road when some of them were walking on the road. He would appear when they were gathered in the upper room, the same upper room we're told where he had the Last Supper where they were then gathered to await the Holy Spirit. He would just walk through the wall and appear to them and talk to them and prepare them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And one can imagine in those 40 days this incredible experience of of seeing Jesus again and the, the hope that would have been in them of this coming of the Holy Spirit. So this all occurred before this gathering in the room of 120. And and then we're told that um, Christ appeared to them before he um, was ascended or the ascension. And just, uh, sorry, I'll just go back to that. In Luke 24, it tells us that Jesus saw them, this was after he rose during those 40 days, and he said, you are my witnesses of all of these things that have happened to me, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, He blessed them and while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven and they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy and they spent all their time in the temple praising God. So Jesus had instructed these disciples, these 120 people to wait in Jerusalem and they spent their time between the temple and this upper room waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. So there was this air of expectancy 
And th this was the setup of the drama that was about to unfold that culminated in the calling of Matthias. And I find it really interesting to think about the people that are mentioned, if we go back, the people that are mentioned to, uh, in this, in this uh, upper room. We've got some amazing people. We've got the disciples. We've got um, the mother of Jesus, Mary. We had Mary Magdalene and the women that attended to Jesus. We had his brothers. Um, it's believed that even Nicodemus, the, um, the, the Sanhedrin, the member of the Sanhedrin was there. And so too was Joseph of Arimathea, who was the, the same rich man that bought the plot for Jesus to be buried in. So you have this conglomerate of people in this upper room. And one could have imagined that in this time between the ascension and this time that we're in now in the upper room, there would have been um, just some incredible things that would have taken place. You know, some commentaries talk about the fact that um, initially there would have been quite a lot of tension. There would have been an opportunity for relationships to be restored. There would have even been tension initially between the disciples. When we think that James and John, for example, squabbled about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. And then you had um, Peter who denied Jesus. Uh, you had Thomas who doubted he, the resurrected Lord. And then you had um, Jesus' brothers themselves who, for the time that Jesus lived on earth, refused to believe in his Messiahship. You had Mary Magdalene who was um, a, a woman that was scorned by the Jews and yet Jesus accepted and healed emotionally and she was brought into this fold of 120 disciples. And then, then you had someone called Matthias who's mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. He wasn't mentioned previously and he's actually not mentioned after this event. And so into this mix you had a whole range of people, rich, poor, chaste, unchaste, uh, some with high status, others completely obscure, on the margins, so to speak, and yet they were all together in this one room and they had witnessed the resurrected Christ. They had witnessed the Jesus that had ascended into heaven. What an amazing time this time was. It's also been told that this is how the new church started with such an incredible eclectic group of people, 120 fully devoted followers of Jesus and that was all in the whole of Palestine. It's estimated that in Palestine in those days there were four million Jews. So this little band of 120 represented one in 30,000. And these 120 were actually told to go out 
and evangelise the entire world. What an incredible, incredible audacious start to Christianity that Jesus would take such an eclectic, disparate group of people and say, you're the ones I want to evangelise the entire world. And we heard this morning from Jonathan that I think by 350 AD there was 30 million, 30 million Christians in the known world at that time. It started from this little band of 120 up in the upper room and they were expectant, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and they really didn't know what that would mean or what that was like. They were just told by Jesus back in Luke 24 to wait for this power to come upon you. So here they were up in the upper room and we've been told that this is um, history's most powerful prayer meeting. We've been told that from the time of Jesus' ascension to this particular setting in this unfolding drama, it was 10 days. And it was 10 days of powerful prayer. The disciples were expectant. They were told to wait for the Holy Spirit. They were persistent. We're told in verse 14 that they met together continually for prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, you know, the Bible has a, um, has a, a, a great scripture which talks about persistency in prayer. And it comes from Jesus' own mouth and it's from Luke 11, 5 to 10. And Jesus said, I want to teach you about prayer and I'm going to use this illustration. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread and you would say to your friend, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And he would call out to him from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and we're all in bed. I can't help you this time. But I tell you this, though he won't do it as a friend, if you do it long enough, he will get up and give you what you want so his reputation won't be damaged. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened for everyone who asks receives. Everyone, everyone who seeks finds. And the door is open to everybody who knocks. Not just some people, but everybody. So... The disciples were not only expectant, but they were persistent 10 days in prayer. But there was also unity. We're told that they met together. And the King James says they were with one accord. And in Acts 4.32, it goes on to say that all the believers were of one heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own and they shared everything they had. So they were expectant, they were persistent, they were united, but more than anything, they were wholly 
dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So we have this set up for the calling of Matthias. And the process was that there was prayer first of all. And sorry, I'm not, I'm, you can tell I'm not really used to this, <laughs> can't you? Because I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> so let me just go back and find, yep. So we continue in Acts 1 and, and Peter addresses the 120 as follows. And he says, brothers, it was necessary for the scriptures to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided the temple police to arrest Jesus. And this was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us chosen to share in the ministry with us. Boy, when we think of the name Judas, we think of the words betrayer. We think of the word traitor. You know, it astounds me to think that he was a man that lived and breathed with Jesus day and night for three years. He was involved in the ministry with our Lord. He was taught by him. He prayed with him. He ate with him. He slept with him. And, you know, he sold our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And commentaries say that that equates to four euro today. You know, when we were in Europe last year, four euro couldn't even buy us a pizza. And I think Judas sold our Lord for less than what it costs to buy a pizza. Judas brought a field with the money he received for this treachery and falling there he burst open, spilling all his intestines. The news of his death spread rapidly among all the people of Jerusalem and they gave the place the Aramaic name Al-Kadama, which means field of blood. So Peter continued and he said, this was predicted in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. And again, let his position be given to someone else. So now we must choose another man to take Judas' place. So we must choose a replacement for Judas. So this is the setup for the calling of Matthias, the waiting for the promised Holy Spirit after the ascension and before Pentecost. Pentecost is yet to come, the coming of the Holy Spirit in the room where they were all gathered. Jonathan's going to preach on that next week. And this one event, the calling of Matthias, was the one and only act that was performed by the entire group after the ascension and before Pentecost. So it was really significant. It was really important. And we have to consider why Matthias was called and... Let's consider that now. The calling of Matthias. The need for his appointment. Well, there was a need for his appointment because Judas had died and now there are only 11 apostles. 
And just before we go on, just think of that word apostle. The word apostle means sent. And it's interesting because the disciple, the, the 11 disciples had gone from being called disciple, which means follower, which means learner, to an apostle, one that has been sent. They progressed to this call on their life. And there were only 11. And so there was a need to replace Judas in this little time frame between the Ascension and Pentecost. And the second point of it is that it had to be a fulfilment from Scripture. And the reason that it was fulfilled or there was a fulfilment from Scripture was because Peter had believed that um, there was a call from Scripture from two Psalms, Psalm 69, which said, those who hate me without cause, in verse 4, and verse 9, passion for your house burns within me so that those who insult you are also insulting me were enough to describe Judas. And then in Psalm 109, verse 8, it said, yet let his years be few. Let his position be given to someone else. And so they cast lots. And Peter had determined that this was enough case from Scripture to fulfil the fact that someone else needed to be called. So we're told in Acts, and I'm sorry, this is really, I'm going to have to get used to this process, aren't I? Uh, Let's go back. We're told in Acts. So now we must choose another man to take Judas' place. It must be someone who has been with us all the time that we were with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptised by John until the day he was taken from us into heaven. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Christ's resurrection. The choice of Matthias, there had to be a prerequisite. It had to be someone that had witnessed Jesus' baptism. It had to be someone who had witnessed his resurrection. So what, what does that really mean? Well, we know when Jesus was baptised, he was modelling for us what we should do ourselves. He was saying that as he went down in the water, he was actually dying to self. And as he rose up again, he was exemplifying the new life that we have in Jesus. And that was our example. And so just as Jesus was baptised and we witnessed that, so our lives, our witness of Jesus' baptism in us, as Jesus' death in us, a dying to self and a rising to new life with him. So every one of us is a witness to Jesus' baptism. But we're also a witness to Jesus' resurrection. Do you have the risen Lord living within you? Does the Holy Spirit live within you? Because The risen Lord is 
given to us and he lives in us through the Holy Spirit. And we are a witness, each one of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, to his risen life living within us. So the choice of Matthias, although it was um, had to be someone that actually was there at the time, we now have that same risen Lord that comes to live within us. So there was a process for the choosing of Matthias. There was a process. And that process was the fact that there was prayer. There was prayer. I think I'm going to give up on this. Why don't I give up? There we are. There was prayer. There was fervent prayer. There was prayer that was expectant. There was prayer that was persistent. There was prayer that was in unity. And there was prayer that was um, based on dependence of God's spirit. But more than the prayer, there was the fulfilment of scripture that someone needed to replace Judas. And there was the requirements that that person had to have witnessed the baptised Lord and also the resurrected Lord. And there was also, we're told, a nomination. We're told that uh, Peter went on to say that we must choose another man to take Judas' place in verse 21. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias, Then they prayed for the right man to be chosen. O Lord, they said, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas, the traitor, in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. So there was a process of being nominated out of this whole 120 people and, and I find it amazing because I can just imagine this man, Matthias. I can imagine him being on the margins. Yes, he was part of that 120 group, but we've got no record of him, as said earlier. And so I imagine him being just a witness um, and, and following the disciples. But he wasn't part of the in crowd. He wasn't part of the 12 initially. He wasn't a brother, a blood brother of Jesus. He wasn't even someone that was mentioned as having some strategic role to play while Jesus lived on earth. I can just imagine this man just just following along with the rest of this group and then somehow being caught up in this room and thinking, I can't believe my life. I can't believe that I saw Jesus rise again. I can't believe that I witnessed him in those 40 days in this room. I can't believe that I saw him going up to heaven. This man, Matthias, who was just really pretty well much a nobody, was in this group. And I can imagine while he was in this group, he would have been hovering at the back somewhere as Peter was talking, saying, hey, we've got to choose somebody 
to replace Judas. And I can imagine him kind of hovering around the back door, you know, thinking, oh, oh well, look, there's, there's some of the ones that, you know, have been mentioned before. There's some of the leaders over there. And then his name's called along with Joseph. And I wonder what he would have thought at that point. Who am I to, to get that call, to even be nominated? Who am I? I can imagine him just being so overwhelmed. Look, I myself felt that only a few weeks ago. Only a few weeks ago, you were all asked to, to come to a meeting here <laughs> and to prayerfully consider whether uh, I had a call on my life to be a pastor here in this church. And, and I have to tell you, I, I came that night with feeling really like, who am I? Feeling like a Matthias, thinking, Gail, you know, if I didn't know that God had told me to come and be obedient, I, I would think, what am I doing here? You know, hovering around the back door. But when I think about my life, it's nothing remarkable, but there is a common theme in my life, which, which is that I've said yes to Jesus whenever he's asked me to do something. When I gave my heart to the Lord some 20-odd years ago, it was the first time I'd heard the gospel and I was asked, did you want to ask Jesus into your life? And, and I said yes. And, and we're in a, a little community evangelical Anglican church where there's only about 40 people and only a few months later, because I think there was no one else to ask, so I was asked, would you lead a ladies' Bible study? And, and I said yes. And then just some months after that, I think once again, because there was no one else to ask, I was asked, will you lead worship? And, and if anyone knows me, I can't even clap in time to the music. And, and I, at university, I, uh, when I was doing teacher training, I did two years of a major in music. And by the end of that, I couldn't even tell the difference between a major and a minor chord. But, but I believe I can sing like Barbara Streisand. So I said yes. I said yes to being a worship leader. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and all through my life, through my walk with the Lord, if I've been asked to do something with fear and trepidation and feeling like a Matthias, I've said yes. I said yes to study. When I've been studying this course at Kingsley for some ridiculous length of time and it's this college, this Bible college, is in this most obscure part of Melbourne called Glenroy, who, whoever lives in Glenroy. And when I lived in Melbourne, it was two hours drive, and now I live up here and it's three and a half hours drive to get to. But I said yes. I said yes. And when I've been asked to preach, and I, I think I haven't even had theological training, but I said yes. And you know what? The only prerequisite for answering the call on your life because every one of you have a call on your life 
is whether you're going to say yes or no. It's very easy to say no. We can say no because it's just, it's just more comfortable. But life is just better because listen to what happened to poor old Matthias after he said yes. And I have to tell you, I struggled to find anything further on this obscure man called Matthias. In fact, I went to a number of, of commentaries and I found a small paragraph. So even if you're called, don't expect for God to put your name up in neon lights. Poor old Matthias, whose name actually means gift of Yahweh, and this was the gift that God gave to him, he preached for another 30 years in and around that area. And then for his effort, he was stoned to death. That's the call on this man's life. No one says that the call of God on our life is going to be easy. No one says that we're going to be remembered or even noticed. No one says that. In fact, many commentaries really question whether Peter actually heard God and was following the Holy Spirit when he announced that we should replace Judas. Many other commentaries said that that position should have been kept for Paul. They should have waited because it should have been rightfully filled by Paul. And I think, isn't that just sometimes like us in the church? When we look around and we see someone that is more credentialed, that has more status, that is more well-known, is perhaps more deserving, and we think, no, no, you know, they really should be in that position, not me. And yet God had a different plan. God said, no, no, not Paul. I, I, you leave Paul to me. He's got his own road, his own path to follow. No, I'm calling Matthias, this obscure man. And we read how they finally did it after prayer, after scriptures, authenticating scriptures, after um, looking at prerequisites, after nomination and more prayer. Finally, there was a casting of the lots. And a casting of the lots went back to Old Testament times where, <coughs> excuse me, in Proverbs, Proverbs 16:33 It says the lot is cast into the lap but its every decision is from the Lord. And what they used to do was they used to get um, just stones, simple stones like this, and they used to write the name of someone of, of the people. So all 150 people would have had their name on a stone like this. Sorry, not all 150. No. It, it would have initially, um, through prayer, been the 150, and then the last two would have been um, Justice or Joseph and 
uh, Matthias and what they would have done would have been put it in the bag and they would have just prayed and believed that when that name was drawn out, it was actually God's will. And the name that was drawn out was Matthias. Good old Matthias. Someone that we never hear of again. But I want to ask you tonight. You know, I think we're all Matthiases. I think we all have a call on our life. I don't think I'm any more different or special. The call on my life went back 20 years ago when I said yes to Jesus and it's just been formalised now. But I just wonder what would happen if tonight this little rock had a name on it and it was your name. How would you feel? When you think of the process, the unfolding drama that occurred in the upper room for Matthias's name to be on this rock, you think of the prayer that went into that. You think of the call that was on his life. You think of the prerequisites. You think of the more prayer and the scriptures that are fulfilled. Well, I want to say to you, and this is pretty frightening, that your name is on this rock because every one of us has a call on our life. You know, your name was fulfilled in scripture. It's called the Great Commission. We're all told to go out, to go forth, to be sent. We're to move from being a follower to one that's been sent. And I, I really want to challenge you tonight. Matthias was just caught up in this whole drama. He was really an obscure nobody. God didn't think so. And God doesn't think you are either. But it sobers us to think that we all have a call on our life. And are we saying yes to God for that call? Are we saying, yes, I'll go? Yes, I'll be sent. You know, I have a feeling that some of us here tonight have been wrestling with this very issue. Are you really witnessing in your workplace? Are you really witnessing in your home? Are you witnessing where God has placed you in your university? Wherever you've been placed, are you prepared to say, yes, Lord, whatever it takes, I'm here. I'll go. I'll be that tiny little one in 30,000. Because that's how it feels most times, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like we're all alone in, an, in, a, in a sea of unbelievers? But look what happened to the Christian church. It's an unstoppable force in this world. And we 
can be an unstoppable force in the world if we say yes to the call that's on every single person's life here. Oh, I've been praying that tonight, despite not being able to use this technology, I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to every person in this room tonight and that you would be challenged just like Matthias was challenged and said yes, that you'd be challenged to say yes to God. And just like I had to two weeks ago stand before the representatives of this church in humbleness and in faith and say, my life is not mine. My life is yours, Lord. I'm prepared to go and I'm no one special. I wonder, are you prepared tonight to stand and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to send me. I'm ready to go. You know, sometimes we have to be bold. Sometimes we're expectant and we're waiting for the call and the call is now. The call is to go now. It's not when, it's now. It's not if, it's not the future, it's now. And sometimes we have to make a public statement to say, I'm here, I'll go. And so tonight I wanted to implore you, if you, you've been touched by the Holy Spirit, and it's not my words, it's nothing to do with how well I preach or how badly I preach. It's about God working in you through his word. If you've been touched by the Holy Spirit to say, I'm going to step up. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to be more intentional in my workplace. I'm going to be more intentional in my home. I'm going to be more intentional in my university. If you've been touched by the Holy Spirit tonight to do that, I just want to pray for you. And I think it would be a really encouraging thing for those that feel that God has spoken to them tonight to stand and to witness to each other that we, we do have a call on our lives. So I'm going to pray now for those that would like to Please stand if you feel that you want to be more intentional, that you want to say yes to Jesus. And I'm just going to pray for you now. So for those that do, just stand and we'll pray. Oh Lord, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you, Jesus, that you call every one of us, every one of us in a way that we feel so inadequate, we feel so humbled. We can't believe that you sent those 120 people that were just so mismatched and and often so, so deficit and yet 
You called them just as you called Matthias. And Lord, I just want to pray for all the people that have stood here tonight. I want to thank you for them. I want to thank you that your Holy Spirit wants to just come and strengthen them. That they've they've stood in obedience to the call that is on their life, Lord Jesus. And I just want to thank you for that, Lord. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would so uh, fill them with power. Lord, you told your disciples to wait so that they could come and be filled with power. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you you come and you fill them now with the power of your Holy Spirit so they can say yes to you, so that they can be bold. They can go, go with the words of the Great Commission ringing in their ears. And whether they go out into their home, whether they go out into their neighbourhood, whether they go out into their workplace, whether they go out into their university, their school, Wherever they are, Lord Jesus, I would just pray that you give them a renewed and refreshed sense of the call that is on their lives, Lord Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, I just thank you so much that you love us and you have a plan and a purpose for every one of us. I thank you for these dear people here tonight. And I just pray that from this night on, Their lives will be different. Their lives will be more intentional. And they'll say yes every time the Spirit speaks to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, God's calling people and he's challenging us all to live for him. Thanks so much, Gail. We just want to spend some time now just um, for you to respond. We've just got blue cards. We'd love you to fill them out. But we'd like you to take these moments, if maybe as you're filling them out, just to confirm what you've decided tonight. Or maybe there's a prayer request or a prayer need. Or maybe tonight you're just wanting to communicate to us in some way. We'll just grab the blue cards that are just in your um, news sheet now. And let's have just a moment to respond. Don't let these moments escape the time God has been speaking to you. Let's use this time now to respond to him. Let's respond.